0: Hello and welcome. Dr. Ashley Smith here, founder and creator of the Glimmer podcast, an eight week online program for managing grief after stillbirth or neonatal loss. I've lived the anguish, agony, rage, and sorrow of losing my daughter Isla to neonatal death earlier this year. It's more than I ever thought I could bear. Coincidentally, I work as a doctor in obstetrics and found myself in this awfully familiar situation because I've personally managed pregnancy loss many times before in my own patients. This bizarre and rather ironic tragedy now gives me a very unique perspective. Since losing Isla, I have found there is a major gap in services available for grieving mothers. Women in our position are more isolated and less able to access the grief resources we need now more than ever. During this podcast season, through interviewing a diverse range of experts and specialists in the fields commonly accessed by grieving mothers, you and I are going to uncover insights and knowledge that will help navigate the long journey ahead. Don't let the darkness swallow you. I want you to find connection with me. And know that you are not alone. May you find peace. May you find connection. May you find a glimmer of hope. Reminder the views, thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the individual and do not represent their employer or medical advice. Always consult your doctor. Heather Platt is an expert on grief. She lost her mother in recent times and her son Matthew many years ago through stillbirth. It has shaped her life and took her from a managerial job in Canada to being an international speaker, coach, facilitator, and author. She is currently launching a book called Holding Space, which was based on her wildly successful and viral blog post from 2015. When I spoke to Heather as the precursor for this interview, I got such a sense of her peaceful wisdom. I spoke to her about Isla and she smiled and nodded in the knowing way of mutual understanding. She spoke about how losing Matthew informed and changed the trajectory of her life. And she told me that with time, she felt she became seasoned in her grief, but it took 10 years. Somewhat strangely, Heather told me she sometimes calls her grief her best friend saying it's made her life full of richness. I think you're going to enjoy this episode. It is a gentle look into the future of someone who has made it to where we all want to be. Peaceful acceptance of love and loss. Welcome to the Glimmer Podcast, Heather. How are you?
1: I'm very good. Thank you for having me.
0: (laughs) Um, Heather, you define holding space as willing to walk alongside another person in whatever journey they're on without judging them, making them feel inadequate, trying to fix them or trying to impact the outcome. You say when we hold space for other people, we open our hearts, offer unconditional support and let go of judgment and control. It's such a beautiful concept and practice and i want to ask you what has led you to building an entire career and international reputation for holding space well
1: i i think the work found me more than anything i think that it it um it really grew very organically and it wasn't something that i suddenly decided this was going to be my path it was more like the the path showed up and and I I was obedient to it I guess. I it really very much of my work is is rooted in my own grief stories and as you mentioned in the intro having lost a stillborn son which was really monumental in shaping me and and starting me on this path to understand how to be present in these really complex messy places in life and really noticing how people, other people interact with it and how they respond to my grief and how uncomfortable it is to be present with somebody else who's grieving and really wanting to um, bring about new ways and help pe- support people in being present in those uncomfortable spaces. And so it was after my mom died, which is uh, about seven and a half years ago, that it really, um, kind of took off this work I wrote a blog post about holding space at my mother's deathbed and that really um, captured a lot of people's imagination the blog post went viral and I I couldn't I couldn't look away (laughs) the work really just nudged me and kept nudging me until it became the core of what I do and and has been driving me ever since so it's it's been quite an amazing journey for me
0: And what was life like for you after you lost Matthew? And how do you look back and see how the grief has changed over time?
1: Well, one of the things that I teach about in my uh, work around holding space is I talk about a concept I call liminal space. It's not my own term, but it comes out of a um, anthropological term. Actually, the lemon is the space in between. And it's really kind of a space of, emptiness and uncertainty and loss and and a whole lot of complexity because it's in between two places it's between what what you once were and what you're still emerging into and the the metaphor I use to talk about it is the the chrysalis between the caterpillar and the butterfly when you have to surrender to just a um, place of mess and mush. Like they say inside a chrysalis, it's just a gel-like substance that doesn't resemble the caterpillar or the butterfly. And so for me, I, that was really what I was thrust into after losing my son. It was like everything had been uprooted in my life. I couldn't believe how much it had transformed my worldview and my, you know, the way I responded to the world. I had a really good. St- steady job before that. I had a family with two small kids at home, and it felt like, you know, things were going the way they were supposed to be going, and kind of the typical, you know, uh, a young girl's dream of what life is supposed to be, kind of the picket fence and house in the suburbs thing. Uh, But everything just felt completely unstable after that, and I started questioning everything, and it ended up uprooting my career and changing a lot in my life. It took a quite a long time because I had to really be in that place of of the messy liminal space first. But that um, it it was life changing, really. It it um, as much as it was uncomfortable and very messy. It's also what led me to a place of really deepening relationships with people that really matter with to me really deep work and really, you know, work that means the world to me. I can't imagine having a better life really than I have now.
0: Oh, wow. And and you, and you say you sort of, it was a very spiritual time for you.
1: It, it really was. I spent, so the, it was a fairly long journey to losing my son, Matthew. There was, uh, I had a complicated pregnancy and ended up having had a failed surgery and then was in three weeks um, bed rest in the hospital trying to prolong the um, the pregnancy. And during that time, it really, I've often said later that it was kind of like I got thrust into a spiritual retreat center. The hospital kind of became my ashram in a sense, where I, I was suddenly, um, you know, removed from my life and was in retreat. And I had some really significant spiritual things happen and including what felt like spiritual visitors in the hospital with me. It's hard to define them exactly, but it felt like there was a um there was a presence there with me that was really inviting me into a into a transformed journey. And I I you know some of that change for me, I talk about the liminal space. Some of what, what really transformed for me was a different um, kind of spirituality. I had been living a fairly traditional Christian life up till then and really transformed how I interacted with the spiritual world, with the natural world, with, um, you know, my, my understanding of a god or goddess. And um, yeah, it, it deepened who I was and how I understood myself in the world.
0: And I, I guess it, this sort of experience, it is so life-changing and devastating and monumental for all of us, you know, that have been through that because it's, you're sort of living one life and you're going along and everything seems dandy. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then this terrible, awful tragedy happens and you do think of, think of everything in your life. Um, and it changes how you view it. And I guess it reminds me of like that, that idea of post-traumatic growth and right. that you are evolving into something and someone that you wouldn't have been otherwise. Yes.
1: And mm-hmm. Yeah. And,
0: yeah, I look at, um, so I know that, you know, you'd had a, a short cervix and then the cerclage operation and then it had broken the membranes. Mm-hmm. And and so you were in hospital with sort of ruptured membranes for, for a number of weeks, is that right?
1: Yes, yeah, it was three weeks. And then um, infection set in at the end of the three weeks because I had no membrane to protect him.
0: Uh, and do you think of, I, I sort of... I know you sort of felt some anger towards the, the medical team at the time and you had to work through, work through those emotions.
1: Yes. I had to really come to terms with what had happened. I mean, it, there were a couple of um, errors on the, on the part of the medical teams involved. First of all, my own uh, family practitioner, uh, about a week earlier when I sensed something was wrong with a pregnancy, um, she... Chose not to do an internal exam that might have revealed that I had uh my cervix was was dilating too quickly, too far too early in the pregnancy, um. So if she had made a different choice, it might have turned out differently. And then the surgeons um made the mistake and um. It, it, the, punctured the, the membrane. And that was partly because the surgeon in charge, just at the last minute, I found out that it was actually an intern that was going to do the actual surgery and not the surgeon that I had a high level of trust in. So it was a bit of a, um, felt a little bit of a betrayal in that moment to suddenly realize it was somebody else doing the surgery. And
0: mm-hmm. so I
1: had to really come to terms with, had, had I, um, had I maybe had too much trust in the medical uh, practitioners and hadn't trusted my own body enough and my own sense of what was right. And, but at the same time, being in that place of of frustration and anger didn't really solve anything and didn't really help me to become uh, healed from uh, the pain. And so I, I had to let it go. And there was a one night in the hospital a couple of weeks in about a week before he died, when I just I spent all night kind of wrestling with that, that, my choice what is my choice to to be in acceptance or to be in bitterness and I I you know somewhere in the middle of the night recognized that bitterness was not going to be healthy for me or my child or my family and so I chose to accept it and to be in a place of more spiritual surrender with it and that really helped me um helped it be a a much more healing experience, even though there was still a lot of grief, at least the grief wasn't mixed with bitterness. And, and when you talk about post traumatic growth, I think it was partly because I made the choices that I did, um, not to stay stuck in the trauma, but to uh, allow it to pass through me and heal.
0: Gosh, that would have taken so I mean that's very early on to be yeah. <laughs> changing from <Yeah. laughs> from bitterness to that sort of um yeah acceptance and
1: I wouldn't say that's the end of the story I mean as as we all know those things cycle through us and there's <laughs> there's other moments again later when when I had to cycle through it and and remake those decisions because those choices are very rarely just a one time thing um, but I continued to choose healing over bitterness.
0: It's mm, amazing, and I think you know you talked about you've obviously thought a lot about the the weeks leading up to Matthew's passing, and and I think you know we've all gone over that time with an absolute fine tooth comb, thinking could I have done something different? You know, did I miss something? Did, did somebody else miss something? Would it have all been okay? And Mm -hmm. it's, that's another sort of aspect to, to the grief and to your mind trying to process what has happened. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, it, it's such a complex thing that the mind has to process and especially when there is some chance that something could have gone differently you have a a tendency to kind of spiral through that again and again and you know i one of the things that i highly recommend in my work is to develop a journal practice and write these things out and and allow yourself to write out the anger and the fear and the frustration and just put it on the page as it is. And don't try to fix it in yourself, but just release it onto the page. And often just by writing things out. And when I was in the hospital, I filled a full journal in those three weeks, just trying to process everything and, and, you know, let the the page hold space for me essentially. And that's one of the most, the best choices I made in that time was to really process it and not to try to run from it or stuff it down or hide the fact that I was, I was feeling these different kinds of emotions, but be honest with myself and, and allow them to be present. Mm,
0: that's beautiful. So I wanted to ask you, I found many of my friends and even family members unable to hold space for the level of grief I I feel at times about losing Isla Mm. and they tend to want to fix it or avoid conversations about the loss. Why do you think that is?
1: Yeah, so th- this is a question I get a lot in my work when I'm teaching people about holding space, and that is why is it so hard to do it for the people we j- really love. And part of the reason is that the the closer we are to someone, the greater the risk is, and the more we are impacted by the grief and the pain that they're in. So I can, if I have a client who's a coaching client, for example, who comes to me and tells me about a, a great loss. Well, I can hold space for them because I'm not really going to be impacted if they stay awake every night crying for weeks on end. However, if I am a spouse or a mother of that person or a sister or somebody very close, I feel that pain on their behalf. And so I really, it, 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 the ache is greater in me to witness it. And so then I want to find the solution for it. And also the risk of the outcome. Like one of the things I teach in holding space is we have to be willing to release the outcome and not be in control of the outcome. Well, if I'm I'm not clear that you're going to come out the other side of this grief, that you're going to be changed into a different person, if I'm really close to you, that outcome can feel very scary. So it's going to uh, trigger my own stuff. And so that's what's happening when people are having trouble holding space for you. It's because their own pain is being triggered, their own fear of your outcome not looking like they want it to be or not looking like what will make them feel safe. And I know I I've had people, cause I've been through several grief journeys, having lost both my parents and my son and and some friends there, they, the fear of people changing can be really significant. So if I see you going through a grief journey that I know is going to change you and you're one of my closest friends, I'm going to, I have some of my own grief because I'm losing the relationship we once had because I know you're going to be different. So that's all of that is going through a person's subconscious mind. I don't think they consciously think these things, but subconsciously they, they have, you know, this is triggering them as well. So it it's complicated. And that's why I, I, I teach people sometimes to help people find, more objective people to hold space for them. So sometimes that looks like a therapist or a coach or, you know, a, a peer support person that that is a little bit more removed from the situation.
0: And what can a therapist or a coach sort of how can they help the grieving, you know, mother that's listening to this podcast?
1: A lot of it is just about bearing witness. I I think we just we really want to be seen and heard. And so if I'm holding space for somebody who's telling me about their story, their pain, very often, it's not doing or saying any really remarkable thing. It's just offering them a place of deep compassion and understanding and bearing witness and allowing that story to just be present in the space without trying to change it or fix it. So I've I've been in a lot of coaching situations where I come out of it afterwards and, you know, I I haven't really said anything other than offer it a few questions. And yet the person speaks to really having been transformed by the experience. And it's mostly about the presence that you bring. it's mostly about the the compassion and just being willing to listen without judging
0: yeah that that I find that with our glimmer bereaved mother's group, it's the same thing of just you understand and you're allowed you you allow that person to just say and feel how they feel, and it's and you're not judging or trying to change the outcome. And I think, you know, we do like a daily mindfulness practice and I think that really helps too to just be able to sit with those thoughts and emotions and feelings and not judge yourself because I think there's a lot, there's an incredible and exhausting amount of emotional labour that goes into grieving. Mm -hmm. Um, So I wanted to ask you, how can the listener move through their grief and hold space for themselves? This podcast is brought to you by the Glimmer three week online program designed to help manage the grief after pregnancy or newborn loss through peer support, daily specialized meditations, and video content. Glimmer will help you to feel connected and less isolated and alone because you are not alone in this grief. Pregnancy loss affects thousands of women every week. Don't let yourself do this alone. Feel the connection and support. Learn tools and techniques that actually help manage grief after pregnancy or newborn loss. Develop strategies that you can bring with you into the rest of your life. Devote as little as 10 minutes per day and you will see the transformation that the Glimmer program can offer you in just three short weeks if you would like to buy this program for yourself, a family member, or friend, or simply want to contribute to the continuation of this podcast and social movement helping families affected by the loss of a baby, go to theglimmerproject.com.
1: One of the things, I, I use a model, um, it wasn't developed by me, but it's called the, um, the ring theory, and so people want to look it up. It's very silk or no sorry i'm saying the name's wrong but it's it's called the ring theory and what they talk about is is imagine that a person who's been through a, a traumatic experience or grief experience place them in the center of a circle and then create rings around them in that circle. Uh, And imagine that the people that are closest to them are the ones in the first ring outside of their circle. So it's their, their beloveds, their, their spouses, their immediate family members, their closest friends. And then just outside of that are people a little less impacted by their grief that, that are, um, more extended family um, for their removed friends, et cetera. And gradually each ring is less close to the trauma or the crisis that's at the center. And what they teach in this model is that by practice you learn to um, offer comfort in and then you dump out. And so, what that's saying is whoever is closer to the crisis, if somebody's closer to the crisis than I am, then I'm going to remember to only offer them um, comfort and support. But then when I need comfort and support, I'm going to turn towards a circle that's further away from the crisis from me. It's going to be my extended family, people who haven't been impacted, and they're the ones that I'm going to turn to who who can support and honor my own grief, because there are many people impacted by a grief. But if I'm if I'm going to expect the person in crisis to comfort me, then I'm asking them to do emotional labor. That's really not fair to ask. Um, but there are people beyond that, outside, further away that that have capacity for it.
0: Ring theory—that's a really interesting and true sort of concept, isn't it? it That's is. great.
1: Yeah, it's it's quite simple, but it, it it it's easy to understand and easy to keep in mind when you're faced with somebody who's in a crisis.
0: And before wrapping up, I just wanted to ask you about what did you mean by the grief seasons in you? Mm.
1: Well, there's one of the people whose books I read a lot is a teacher named Richard Rohr, a spiritual teacher who, um, and he's got a book called Falling Upward. And I I highly recommend the book. And he talks about how it's somewhere in midlife, we all go through some kind of fall, and that might be a crisis, it might be a large, a significant failure, it might be grief, a loss, etc. And he, he really talks about the two halves of our life in a terms, in, in spiritual terms. And the first half of our life is really, um, a time of duality. And whenever, when we see the binary in everything, things are either good or bad, uh, you know, right or wrong, um, truth or false that kind of that kind of binary is is existent in our life and you can imagine remember when we were you know teenagers and how clear the world seemed and then after this significant fall and he talks about falling upward because we're really falling into a transformed life after that we begin to see much more shades of gray and we realize that the world is much more nuanced we begin to see things through a more non-dualistic lens and it can be a really scary place because the world doesn't feel as secure and firm as it once was but it's also this place of great beauty and great complexity and your relationships begin to deepen and your your understanding of yourself begins to deepen and for me that's really been true and I think of losing Matthew that was a pivotal point where I began to see the world through much more um, nuanced lenses. And it, it, it was a significant growth point in my spiritual uh, and emotional journey and psychological journey. And so I think if we, if we are willing to be present in these painful moments, I think it really can grow us up into the next kind of Iteration of ourselves that you know, going beyond what we saw as a as a more youthful, maybe more idealistic person.
0: Oh, I'm definitely going to read that book. That sounds really good. All right. Well, thank you, Heather. Thank you so so much for coming on the show today. Um, You're very and welcome. And I'll include a lot of the links that you've mentioned in the books uh, in the show notes. Um, so, finally, to you, dear listener you're in my thoughts and you're not alone just keep going keep going if you're feeling like you need urgent help call your local hospital doctor or 24-hour mental health hotline for more perinatal grief resources visit theglimmerproject.com and make sure you press subscribe so you don't miss any future podcast episodes and spread the word about this podcast to any other women who are grieving pregnancy or newborn loss thank you